Welcome to an international break edition of Corner Kick. As always, I am Nathan Strauss, joined by a man who is unlikely to be sporting uh, the new USA home kit at any given time. And no, I'm not saying that because he is, in fact, a dual citizen, but it is Caleb Rhodes. <laughs> yes, I actually I haven't seen what the Cypress kit looks like, but... I'm, I'm not sure many people know what the Cypress kit looks like, and it will not be bestriding, you know, the pitches of uh, Cutter anyways, so. Well, a fun fact is that the United States and Cypress have been to the same amount of World Cups since 2014, so. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, Caleb. I was, like, I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> um, not to bring up old wounds, Caleb, because I know how, how bitterly that turned out in Tobago result still yes. you know haunts your mind but it does uh it's it is season. yeah no <laughs> yeah you know it, it truly is you know halloween's only a month away but uh yeah because <laughs> you know how at cvs and walgreens and stuff every year like mid to late august you walk in and you start seeing like more and more candy bags pile up i'm just imagining for you like as soon as summer starts turning to fall you get like the spookiest results so you have that result uh, you have Madrid smoking Barcelona in the Della Feu uh, game, and like that early Clasico. Um, they just, you know, they stockpile more and more and more bad memories up until Halloween comes and passes, and then, you know, you're all clear until next year. But uh, it is an international break, which means there aren't any current results to talk about unless you uh, magically were somehow able to find an illegal stream to watch Scotland take on Ukraine today, which I was not able to do, uh, nor do I feel like I missed out big time. So we figured we'd start off by talking about uh, the big five leagues, see where they all stand. Uh, we may as well go from least competitive to most competitive. And, you know, France right now, after PSG uh, with a messy, an early messy goal beat Lyon, France, yes, there's only a two-point differential between PSG and Marseille, but a two-point lead for PSG eight games through the season is basically as good as the 25-point uh, you know, margin that will end up being their margin of victory in Ligue 1. Have to say, the Messi, Neymar, Mbappe trio is kind of insane uh, right now, even when, uh, you know, Mbappe is kind of a black hole offensively. Yeah, I mean, season two, I think last year, I think we we thought that it might take some time, in part just because of the nature of, you know, the transfer Messi did not want to leave Barcelona and did not leave Barcelona until relatively late um, in the summer. Um, and I think those adverse circumstances definitely made it harder for him to kind of bed in at the club. Not to mention there was kind of the looming question of, you know, Mbappe's future. I think Pochettino, despite being Argentinian, and we know that there was this little kind of Argentinian squad um, that was, you know, bullying Jeannie Wijnaldum. Um, <laughs> um, not not literally as far as I know, but at least giving him the cold shoulder to try to make sure Leandro Paredes, now of Juventus, right, um, would get minutes. But long, long story short, he's settled now and the front three is fit and Gaultier seems like a sensible man. 
And Neymar has, what, 11 goals and eight assists so far this season in all competitions. Messi has, you know, like four goals and eight assists. And then Mbappe has, you know, like eight or nine goals. It doesn't get much better than that. And and you do get the sense, I feel, that the better Holland does, the better PSG will do. If for no other reason than Mbappe, you know, having decided to stay in France and having, you know, eschewed a move to La Liga will want to stay in the headlines as much as possible. And really the only way to do that is to score about four goals a game um, in the French league. So not much to say going forward, I think, in Liga. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as always, I feel like Liga every year has like one or two teams that just perform way above what you'd expect from them. Like uh, last year and this year, to a certain extent, Lens or Long. Uh, this is where we need Nick. Uh, you know, to hit us with that, that <laughs> pronunciation. But Laurent, uh, despite uh, transferring Jonathan Klaus to Marseille, who are obviously in second right now, they tied down Seko Fofana for like eight years, despite the fact that he could probably have gone to pretty much any team that he wanted to. Uh, they have looked good so far. Lorient, who... Uh, have I told you my Lorient story, by the way? No. So on my birthday this last year, I was actually in France uh, in this small town of Carnac, which is about 50 minutes away from Lorient. And I was like, you know what I want to do on my birthday? Obviously, I want to go drive to the Lorient store and get a kit, which is like a normal thing to do for me when I'm traveling because, you know, I collect kits. So I convinced my dad. Obviously, I can't drive because I can't have a rental car in Europe until I'm 25. So I get my dad to drive me. And I'm like super excited because... You know, they have a pretty cool kit. Uh, and we show up to their store. It's like hidden in this alleyway. And I go in and I'm like, why is this store like empty? Like there were like a few t-shirts that with just like the team name on it. Uh, and that's it. And so, you know, I don't speak French, but I do speak enough to say like, uh, like, where are the jerseys? Like, où sont les maillots? And they explained to me, because they speak perfect English, because of course they did, um, that their contract with adidas their previous kit provider had expired on july 1st the day before my birthday and on july 2nd the date that i went there uh <laughs> their new contract with umbro kicked in but because it was the first day of their contract none of the gear uh was in yet and so she oh the the woman like opened the door to the storeroom and was like here are all the old kits uh because they had all of, obviously like all of this back stock sure, from last sure. year and i was like oh, great, like, can I buy them? And she was like, no, we can't sell them to you because of our contract. And I was like, this is so dumb. Like, I just drove, like, an hour to be shown jerseys that are there that I can't buy, and the new jerseys aren't there yet. But anyways. And they couldn't uh, work out some situation where no, they know, couldn't, she was I moving couldn't, a like, box slip. and one I, accidentally no, fell on the so street. it was so dumb. It was so dumb. And because they're French, uh, okay. it was like, <laughs> no, 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 because this is actually, this is not a comment on the French. But, um... <laughs> I ended up buying just like a t-shirt that was there because I was like, I'm okay. not coming away from this empty handed. I'm like, you I know, I feel like you had a very difficult summer with so, like a few weeks ago, you were telling us about your my and <laughs> Gilois, uh, experience. And it sounds like, did this one end with a, a nice beer with Muhammad as well? Or? It did not end with a beer with Muhammad, but um, I did it. I had a great birthday, but I ended up buying this, this shirt, just like, you know, it's a black shirt with like the club badge on it or whatever. Um, Ah, for like, say for like yeah, say la vie. Uh, but you know, I'm between a large and an extra large generally for t-shirt sizing. So I was like, you know, I'll go with the extra large because you know, why not? 
like I because Europe generally has like slightly smaller sizes, and I put it on and it's like skin tight. So it's a real real loss for me. But anyways, <laughs> the point of this story is that Loria are uh, in third place in Ligu right now. Uh, six wins, one draw, one loss. But that was a long tangent to talk about a league that is not competitive, but a league that is competitive, maybe surprisingly so, even though we didn't think it would be so, is the Bundesliga. And Union Berlin <laughs> are not only winning the league right now, they have also almost closed down Bayern's goal difference. And Geraldo Becker just won... Bundesliga Player of the Month. And to put into perspective how crazy this is, Union Berlin have 15 goals. They've only allowed four, and they've only created 4.06 expected goals. So some kind of ridiculous numbers there, but uh, I'm all I'm all ears. I'm, all, I'm here for it. Yeah, and I think, you know, last episode, obviously we, sh- we should mention too, there, there should have been an episode last week, but technical glitches. So we apologize for the delay. Um, but since we last, you know, put out a podcast the the standings have actually started to stretch out a little bit Bayern are now what five points off the pace sitting in fifth place not even in a Champions League place Union lead with 17 Dortmund are in second with 15 Freiburg 14 Hoffenheim 13 Bayern lost to Augsburg in this past weekend they have now not you know won a game um, since they started the season with three wins on the trot. And you're starting to get the sense that perhaps Mane is not a like-for-like like replacement uh, for Lewandowski. Yeah, I mean, he had some really good games the first like two games of the season, but uh, he has not looked very good as of late. The crazy thing about this Augsburg game is that they only com- Augsburg only completed 93 passes. Uh, but they still managed to create more expected goals uh, than Bayern in this game, which is uh, not great for Bayern. I mean, I'm sure they'll be fine, uh, but you know, they just don't look like they have the goals right now, and clearly they need a, a striker at some point. But uh, yeah, basically they only win against Barcelona. Um, no, it's, 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 it's just... they beat Barca and Inter 2-0 while <laughs> drawing with Union Berlin, Mönchengladbach, and Stuttgart and losing to Augsburg. So, yeah. yeah. But this, this, I mean, you know, we were really joking after the first few games, uh, mainly me, I'll take credit, for how lopsided this season could be. And in many ways, the Bundesliga has looked the most equal, I think, of any of the leagues. I'm not sure I really trust any team to sort of consistently string together goals um, and results. Union, as you mentioned, really outperforming their XG by over three times um, right now. Dortmund, you know, lost to Leipzig, who are way down in 12th right now. But then Leipzig lost 3-0 to Mönchengladbach, um, who are in sixth. So the league is... Dortmund beat Schalke in the Riviera Derby this last weekend with a goal from... You see from Makoko, who became the youngest ever goal scorer in the Riviera Derby. And if yes. you watch the replay of the goal, I would urge you to just look at the fans behind the goal. Like, watch the goal because it's, it's a nice, it's a nice cross. But then watch the replay of the goal because you see like the equivalent of like a minor thunderstorm worth of beer showers because so <laughs> many fans. I'm not even joking. Like, you could pull it up right now. It's hilarious. Uh, but that's what really stood out to me. Uh, Jude Bellingham, by the way, is, I think, as good as advertised. 
that's my takeaway from from this game. Dude, he's he's been, I mean, he's been good the last few years, but he has been on another level this season. Even though he has yet to have a goal or assist in the Bundesliga, the way he moves, despite you know, he I think he looks taller than five eleven personally, but he moves incredibly gracefully um, for someone playing in kind of a deep lying playmaker box to box midfielder role. Um, I will start watching more Bundesliga games now because you all kind of, of sudden, have to. It's the no, same no. the same reason that you're going to be more clued into Southampton games this year too. You know? Yes, exactly, exactly. I think we all need to conspire to keep uh, Jude Bellingham out of Manchester, no matter which side in Manchester that is, because um, he would just be terrifying for. He'd, yeah. He'd, well, he'd flop at United and be like the best midfielder in the world at City because that's sort of how things go, but. Yeah, Bundesliga, keep an eye on all these teams. And shout out again to to Freiburg, who uh, have picked up where they left off last year. And uh, shout out again to VfL Bochum, who picked up their first points of the season last week after losing their first six games uh, with a goal differential of minus 15. Uh, the Premier League was back mostly uh, this last weekend. Not all the teams played. Uh, but as it stands right now, Arsenal are top of the table going into the first international break, which I did not think would be the case. Uh, Arsenal battered Brentford away from home on Sunday. Spurs <laughs> destroyed Leicester. And you have to wonder, Leicester are now in last place. They have one draw. They've conceded 22 goals this season, which is far and away the worst. In fact, almost double the the next worst team that isn't uh, not even but or, uh, Bournemouth. or Bournemouth, yeah, you're You're right. obviously conceded nine goals in a yeah. single game, so that right. will, so little that'll hurt you, right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Leicester, I feel like the blame for this is twofold. On the one hand, they let their longtime goalie in Casper Schmeichel go, and they also didn't replace him and instead are using a championship quality, if that goalie, and Danny Ward to uh replace him, and he has been really bad and i wonder if you're brendan rogers when you throw in the towel yeah see the lester situation is is tough because they're gonna sack brendan rogers at some point right because they're now seven games in they're the only team in the league that has yet to win and they've only drawn once they have a solitary point they're three points off of nottingham forest right now um but in many ways you know the club has not given him a lot to work with. I think last season we started to sense that perhaps the Leicester project, um, which, you know, in the years prior had obviously, you know, won the Premier League, become a you know perennial Premier League team, and most recently kind of been ever so close to the Champions League for a few seasons running, literally losing out on the last day, two seasons in a row have lost key players like their goalie. They've lost, you know, key young players like um, Fafana. And they have brought in, to my knowledge, no one. And so I think there's some blame for Brendan Rodgers, sure. But also he's been literally, I think, given no resources in comparison to, you know, the rest of the league. And the kind of talismanic striker who kind of kept them in the going, Jimmy Vardy is now well into his mid-30s um, and certainly tailing off. And I think, you know, Pat Sindaka and Ichia Nacho 
um, Iosi Perez to a lesser extent have not shown that they can consistently score in the Premier League or can lead the line kind of solo in the way that Jamie Vardy did um, for many years or in combination, you know, with like Okazaki or someone like that. Oh man, Shinji Okazaki. That's a wild throwback. I haven't thought about him in a while. Who was the other? Did they have an Argentinian forward as well at one point that year? Was it? Was like it 20... Joa? Yeah, Leonardo, Leonardo Ujoa. Who played That's... for uh, Brighton. Yeah, he did. No, the I championship though in the championship. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just that's a that's a good shout. Um, I feel like we're gonna look back on Leicester's run in like the late to 2000s from like 2015 on, and really, like I think Jamie Vardy. We talked about um, you know outperforming XG, but Jamie Vardy turned in 24 goals, 13, 20, 18, 23, 15, 15 goals in his in his 20 year 28 through 35 seasons. But right now it seems like that magic has been lost a little bit. And obviously for a player who kind of relied on, first of all, drawing penalties and scoring penalties pre VAR. And second of all, um, just like raw pace and aggression, it's kind of natural that that would taper off a little bit. And uh, I mean, if this is the end for him as an elite striker, it was a glorious time. I mean, over 150 goals (laughs) and almost 400 games after playing for what Halifax Town or Stockport or Silly Hill Moors, one of those teams. Oh um, no, he'll go down as like one, you know, of, the, one of the the cult yeah. kind of figures. Yeah, streets won't streets, streets won't forget because that year where that year when he set the record for uh, consecutive games scored, everything he touched turned to gold. But yeah, yeah, Leicester are in trouble, and uh, the top of the table. I feel like it's hard to totally judge it right now because Liverpool yep. and Chelsea both have games in hand as do Brighton, who are still in fourth. And we may as well, while we're on the Premier League, Brighton, who still haven't played, right? Since in the Premier League, since we left? Well, right, because they haven't played yet. Um, Their game against uh, Burnmouth and Palace were both called off. So uh, we may as well talk about their their new managerial appointment while we're on the Premier League side of things. They bring in, officially, as of a few days ago, former Sassuolo and Shakhtar manager, Roberto De Zerbi. And... uh, I'm a big fan of this appointment. I think it's uh, the kind of the kind of move that Brighton have uh, sort of shown can work out in the past. Yeah, and I think Deserbi back when he was you know managing Sassuolo, especially um, you know his his Shakhtar tenure, he left after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I'm not sure we got to see you know all that he would have hoped to have done there um, especially in Europe this season but with Sassuolo I mean he led that team to a few top eight finishes for what's a generally you know smaller club Um, he also I think got the best out of players like Berardi and helped develop someone like Raspadori who's now at Napoli and in general I think he was considered to be a fairly kind of stylish manager in terms of his type of play and I don't know how he stacks up exactly systematically versus, you know, Potter, but I think he certainly seems to be the right type of profile in terms of someone who definitely hasn't been given crazy resources before, um, has proven themselves a little bit kind of outside of, you know, the major leagues, um, and definitely is looking to make an impact and willing to kind of bring um, his own vision to a club. So I think it's, I think it's a ballsy, uh, a ballsy appointment. Um, and I think Brighton, 
needed to make an appointment such as this. And uh, this appointment also led to a great stat on Twitter that I saw, I think from Grace Robertson, who you should, everyone should be following if you, if you don't already. But nine of the last 10 managers to win a Premier League had not managed in the Premier League previous to their appointment. And obviously, that's skewed a bit by Klopp and Pep, who both had championship pedigree from multiple other leagues. But, uh, you know, I think there is this insular idea in British soccer in particular, where your team should be expected to, or your club should be expected to look domestically for their next manager. And what that leads to is clubs losing their managers mid-season and then turning to a Sam Allardyce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that Sam Allardyce isn't a good manager because I think he is, but when you're a club like Brighton who are all about, you know, winning outside the margins, I think this is the kind of appointment that could see them really establish themselves as a top half of the Premier League kind of club. And in fairness to them, Graham Potter, as we mentioned before, left them a very, very good starting point. So I'm curious to see how they kick on. And obviously not without my own self-interest here, because I did pick them to make it into Europe in our preseason pod. So uh, yes. you're not, we, you're not upgrading them to winning the league though, from that stat. No, no, no. I, I don't think <laughs> look, it's, look, look, I mean, for the last five years, it's been, it's, it's been a duopoly and I don't really see that yep. changing anytime soon between city and Liverpool, whose finances and, squads are just leagues above like literally in a different league than the rest of the the competition but for a team like brighton who just you know four years ago were in the championship sorry five six years ago where did the time go um <laughs> you know if you can get into europe for a few years that's you know club life lifelong postponing whatever whatever you want to call it like it's it's huge so yep. that's my point with that yes and then you know the rest of the top City and Spurs remain uh, without a loss um, and are tied on 17 points behind Arsenal. The first game, though, after yeah, after this international break, and we'll talk about international stuff in a minute, is the North London derby between Arsenal and Spurs. It what has to be the most hyped, you know, NLD in in years. I so I don't know if it's the most hyped NLD in years because if Arsenal had beaten Spurs last spring, they would have basically clinched Champions League soccer. And that was the game that we got smoked 3-0 and Nick and I were watching it at Lear. Uh or not Lear at, at Dylan's. And I was just like crying into my drink because we just got smoked for minute <laughs> one. And Nick was like, Nick was like taking it up. He was probably like the only non-Arsenal fan there. And I was just like sitting there. Uh, I was just like, I was so excited. I was like, this is the moment. Like, you know, tonight's the night basically. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's huge for both teams. And I think it's going to be very testing for Spurs more so than Arsenal, because when you look at the stats, particularly involving chance creation, Spurs rank in the bottom 25% in terms of chance creation and shots. And at the same time, are scoring goals basically whenever they shoot. So I'm curious to see how they play against a more organized and better team, especially considering, you know, it's not like they've been super, super effective against good teams so far this year. You know, Sporting 
weathered the storm for about 65 minutes and then turned on the pressure against them and beat them 2-0. Um, you know, Spurs struggled past Fulham, drew West Ham, put only two past Nottingham Forest, put one past Wolves, drew with Chelsea. Uh, it's not been... I think the, their their record right now flatters to deceive a little bit. And I, I do think they're a good team. I think Conte's a great coach. And I think, you know, Son... Kane, Kuliszewski, and Richarlison, whichever whichever three of those four start, because, you know, Son was benched before scoring a second-half hat-trick against Leicester. They're obviously super dangerous, but it's the kind of play that is generally thought of as unsustainable over the course of a whole season. And I'm curious when the wheels fall off, um, because, you know, their schedule doesn't really get tough until Boxing Day. So, uh, also, there are rumors that Conte... Could potentially okay. Could potentially sure, sure, sure. Be interested in other jobs, but I, I, rumors. Yes, there are rumors that there are Martians, and there aren't. So, whatever. I think. I mean, I I don't want to. You know, underestimate the the challenge that Arsenal face as well. I mean, they've only had, I would say, one marquee fixture this season as well against a kind of at the time somewhat struggling, you know, Manchester United and they lost three to one. So I think this will both be, this will be a big test for both clubs in terms of their ambitions and their ability to, you know, actually stay in the title race sort of early on um, in the season. And I agree Spurs have been a little less consistent than Arsenal but Arsenal have not won a huge game yet either. So this would be one to win um, if there ever was one. And I'm looking forward to the Premier League resuming in a few weeks. Um, it was unfortunate that, you know, not all fixtures could be played this past weekend um, due to the policing needs and sort of public, um, public safety needs around the Queen's uh, public funeral. But there is much more action to come in an increasingly jam-packed season, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be nuts. Um, and as a fan, it's great because then World Cup comes around and we can watch, you know, three or four games of the best soccer in the world for like 3 weeks. Um, but quickly jumping over to Italy before we wrap things up with Spain. Uh, more of the same from Serie A so far where I would say any of the top 8 teams could realistically finish um, you know, in European spots right now. Uh, Napoli and Atalanta are tied at the top on 17 points, followed by Udinese, Lazio, AC Milan, Roma, Inter, and Juve. The big story, I think, is Juve, who are winless in five games. They got smoked by PSG. They lost to Monza and Benfica and drew with Salernitana in a day which saw four four red cards in the final five minutes after... Arek nice. Milik, Milik scored a goal that would have given them the winner. Uh, it was probably wrongly ruled out for offsides via VAR, but he received a second yellow after taking off his shirt, having already been booked. Um, and they don't overturn a yellow card for taking off your shirt if they overturn the goal, which I think is a moronic is rule. It's a moronic rule. It's double jeopardy. Yeah, there... no, no, it truly, it really is double jeopardy. Um, so but... my question is, would he have been <laughs> in the other scenario? He would have scored the goal and been sent off, though. Yeah. Anyway, like there's no scenario where he stays on the field. 
No, if, if the goal he, was allowed. He also went into the stands too, which I think. Which I think is also. Not, he also not scored. In, it was in the 90th minute plus six too. So no, like, no, no. Honestly, it's like whatever, whatever. Yeah. yeah, but the real story, the real story is Juve are just terrible, and they were bad under, uh, you know, they were bad briefly under Pirlo, uh, and then Allegri sort of righted the ship a little bit, but uh, they look just like literally terrible. Like all the things we said about how Chelsea were playing pre Graham Potter. Uh, Juve just they are so boring and their team is not fun at all no it's it's terribly unfun I mean they play like six wide backs <laughs> in every game like they they are starting Philip Kostic as like a true left winger while still having you know like Danilo behind him um and like same with Quadrado who I think it's always been a bit of a up in the air about where his best position is but they play really boring soccer. Um, you know, Vlahovic is doing his best, but I'm not sure they have a true kind of central creative talent that that they need. It's one of these moments where you're realizing like the true value of a player like Dybala who left. Um, and the fact that bringing in, you know, Milik, um, while he's a good striker, is you know, kind of just a worse Vlahovic in a lot of ways, I feel. <laughs> He's worse and older and shorter, I think, too. Um, yeah, you tell him, Caleb. <laughs> but, but, I mean, who is the cam in this team? No, there isn't one. Like, and, and maybe like Di Maria, Di but, Maria. Like, but like he's a 34-year-old wide player. Right. right. Who also got a straight red for kicking a dude in the chest. His yes, last time that, out. So that, like, that as well. And then, like, or Fabio Moretti, you like... He's actually... So, Fabio Moretti has been pretty good, but you can't really expect, like, an unproven 19-year-old to lead a Scudetto charge in the no. most, most top-heavy league in Europe. No, no, no. I don't mean this as a dig against... No, no, no. I, no I know. I know. I just think that Moretti also doesn't seem to me like he's, like, the equivalent of a Musiala or a Pedri or a Bellingham in terms of his ability to contribute at a really high level and actually change the game as a 19 year old. He's a, he's a fine prospect, but the fact that they're relying on him so much is troubling. Also um, like this team is just so old and we knew that they were going to be an old team because they've always been an old team, but yes. you know, they've got, they've got 35 year old Benucci on the bench. Chiellini obviously left to be like the third center back at LAFC, <laughs> but you know, Danilo is 31 now. Uh, the Shiglio, who was once like a, a true wonder kid, is 29. Yeah. Um, Di Maria's I mean, 34. Quadrado's, Quadrado's 34. 34. And Quadrado is still like a pretty good player, I would say. No, no, uh, these, no, no age, we're not saying that like, these are bad players per se. And and to be fair, they are missing, especially in the midfield, a few people like a la Pogba, right? Um, as yeah, well as Locatelli. Sort of they should have known when they signed. No, no, no. I'm just up. saying, but I feel like yeah. they would play better. I, the biggest miss, though, is Chiesa, right? Um, who, what did he injure? He tore his ACL, right? Or... Ah, yes. Yeah, cruciate ligament injury. He's not expected back until January. Um, and yeah, and they're also missing Locatelli, who I think is is a is a creative player in midfield. And Rabio yeah. and Pogba. So, so they're they're missing. I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're they're missing a few players. They're really uninspired. They're making boneheaded decisions, like getting sent off. Um, Allegri should probably be gone. I think his whole second stint um, has been poor. Although I think Juve have been a team that have been trending down quite clearly. 
you know, even before Pirlo took over. I, it sounds like there's some hesitancy to fire him because they would owe him a lot of money. Um, but also, aren't Juve supposed to be the like, you know, Super League club, big spending, um, whatever in Italy? And so are they really this hostage to to a bad manager right now? Right. And also, like, I don't know. I mean, to think they're doing this all without playing their best goalie in Carlo Pinsolio. You know, it's a disgrace. But um, <laughs> the rest of, I think it's also fair. To, it's a, <laughs> Not Pinsolio. <laughs> uh, I think it's also fair to say that the rest of, you know, it, when, when Juve were so dominant for like 10 years, it was also due to the fact that aside from one or two Napoli teams, the rest of Serie A was pretty crap. And the rest of Serie A has been really good. Atalanta continued to be one of the more fun teams in the world under Gasparini. Uh, you know, they've yet to lose in the league this year. Both Milan teams have regressed a little bit so far in the early goings. Um, and Roma are going to be inconsistent as ever. Uh, but Napoli, with aid from Cavaccia uh, Cavarciacella, sorry. Uh, we'll get that. We'll get yeah, that. Kvarachkelia. Um they're, they're fun and good now, too, under Allegri. So, uh, excuse me, not under Allegri. Good Lord. <laughs> That's, Spalletti. Yeah, under Spalletti. Sorry, not all Italians are the same. Despite what my uh, my inner monologue might want you to believe, so you're really uh, going I after a lot of. <laughs> no, trust me, I'm an equal today. opportunity. I'm an equal opportunity, uh, you know, talker. So uh, we, but we know this. So um, no, I mean Napoli are are really good this year, and they have a really fun team that has a lot of good energy and has a lot of interchangeable pieces too. There's, I think, a big, you know, next man up. Um, feeling that you know if one person is having a bad game then you can send you know Giovanni Simeone off the bench and he's going to score a winner my question for you now is is this the year I mean Napoli in many ways um you know in the past if you include the past few years so obviously not when Juve were winning like 10 titles in a row have been kind of the second most or even most consistent team in Italy always finishing in the top three I believe, basically, and finishing second on a number of occasions, winning a few Coppa Italias. The league has eluded them to this point. Yes, yeah, since, um, since, since 1990. Yes, um, through some really good generations, you know, the Hamsik Cavani period. Oh, yeah, the period when they bought every Real Madrid player and just tried to make yes, Real Madrid. Yes, yeah, the, 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 the Calajon. <laughs> the, yes, that was, that was classic. They, like, bought all of Mourinho's they, they, like, they literally bought squad all, players. Yeah, on the cheap. Um, and then they got really good players. Like, that, that Higuain year when he scored, whatever, like, 30 yes, goals or yes, whatever. Yes, exactly. But uh, so this is, this is a new look, Napoli. But is it the look that gets them the title? I don't know. It's it's totally possible that whoever wins Serie A this year is going to do so with like 67 points because I think we're going to see these teams take a lot off of each other and with no sort of dominant force like Juve, uh, again, for the second straight year in a row, it, we think uh, Serie A will be the most competitive league, although, you know, the Bundesliga might be giving it a run for its money. Uh, any comments on either of the Milan teams or Roma to this point? You know, I think they're still kind of finding themselves right now. I mean, Milan is slightly changed um, from last year in general. You know, and they lost Kessier. Um, and I, I think 
there was always going to be a bit of a title hangover. I still think though that they they were slightly kind of outperforming their quality. I think on paper they're still not like a world beating team, and so they did what they needed to do to get the win last year. But they're they're probably kind of regressing to their true level slightly. Although it'll be interesting to see you know how far Leao can kind of drag them on his own. Inter, I think, just are a bit all over the place. Um, to be honest, and I'm not totally sure exactly, you know, what's going on there. I think Lukaku's injured right now, and so hopefully that will help, you know, stabilize things. But it's also very possible that losing someone like Perisic is having, you know, a much bigger detrimental effect on the club um, than maybe we anticipated. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's fair to say. Uh, Roma are a team that sort of mystifies me a little bit because I'm just, I'm just not convinced that they're very good. And that I'm not, I'm not convinced that they'll ever be very good because their squad is like 40 men deep and none of them are elite. Uh, maybe with the exception of uh, Tammy Abraham, who we haven't seen much of, uh, but yeah, Serie A, we will keep an eye on. And to wrap up the domestic conversation before turning to uh, the international break and, some things in in that sphere let's talk about spain briefly because a big round of fixtures this last weekend uh you know barcelona blew out elche 3-0 Lewandowski or Lewandowski continues to to bang him in uh his goal to game ratio is is pretty insane right now almost holland-esque but uh actually yeah let's start let's start there let's start outside of madrid uh, looking at the table, Real Madrid up top are are top right now. Six games, all wins. Barcelona, the only you know, yeah. perfect team left in Europe. Unfortunately, right. uh, Barca, Betis, Bilbao, Osasuna, and Villarreal make up the European spots right now. Uh, we talked a little bit about Betis last time out, but they have now won uh, eight of nine games. They look like they're going to be a tough team and. Uh, shout out Borja Iglesias, who's kind of one of those underrated La Liga players who just will get you like 15 goals a year because he's been uh, he's been banging them in. Yeah, Panda, as they call him, that's his or whatever that is in Spanish, but that's that's his nickname. Um, and he was a player who was signed, you know, a few years ago now, but um, for for a relatively large fee, I think it was like 20 something million and it took him you know definitely a little bit of time to to find his form um but he's been really good this year six goals in in six games um many with sort of fakir missing right now betis i think have been legit for a few years i mean there's a reason they're the reigning you know copa del rey champions and in a year where i think atleti are really having a bit of an identity crisis um, where Villarreal are being a little conservative um, under Emery and where Sevilla especially um, have had just a putrid start to the season. There's definitely an opportunity to be like the third best club um, in Spain and, and Betis are, you know, diving in to that identity for sure. Yeah. Also nice to see uh, Hirona, comfortably mid-table at this point because yes uh, with, i'm a big Girona uh, fan with uh former mls frontman tati castellanos yeah tati castellanos who's really taking advantage of the city group's connections because uh you know he's technically still an nycfc player but 
obviously it's not every day that you see an nycfc player go on loan to they they actually have a know. very interesting team um yeah well to, okay. they have they I'm, have uh, a lake garcia uh, right. the former uh barcelona manchester uh yeah barcelona to manchester city um he's not 25 that's wild um they obviously have oriel romeu who spent you know several strong seasons um as a consistent starter for Southampton, sort of through every phase of their Premier League journey. They have uh, Rainier. Rainier? Yeah, he um, scored for them last week. Yes, who I think this 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 has to be kind of... He, he's going the way of Kubo as it stands right now, which is fine. Um, but I think this is his last big opportunity to prove that he sort of deserves a place um, in the Madrid squad. So they kind of have a fun, youthful team with a lot of kind of players whose names you know. So that that's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but this conversation, you hinted at Atleti's identity crisis. Um, and they have been pretty poor throughout this season. Uh, you know, they needed a, a 101st minute goal. Well, really two goals in extra time to beat Porto in the Champions League. Uh, you know, they got smoked by Villarreal earlier this year uh and they find themselves in seventh place having only scored 10 goals and we talked a little bit about the Griezmann deal where you know he can only play or they're <laughs> limiting him to under 50 percent of the available minutes to avoid triggering a clause in his two-year loan from Barcelona which would lead to them having to purchase him for I think 40 million yeah. uh Barcelona have threatened to like counter sue or sue to say that, you know, the, the language said that it was only about last year and that he's already considered an Atleti player, whatever. But uh, they have looked really bad. Uh, Joao Felix, it seems like is, is a bust, even though he, I, I feel like he's the kind of player where he will have like one game out of five where it's like, wow, this guy is legit. Like he is the next Ronaldo. And then he'll have four games of being generally like pretty crap. And so, you know, his market value has almost been halved since he was brought in. And I am a little concerned that now at 22 years of age, his career is kind of uh, bottomed out, not bottomed out, but it's not plateaued either, but definitely stalled. Yeah. I think, I think he just hasn't had a good partner um, in this Atleti team. And he's definitely the type of, striker who likes to play in a two um but is very much in the kind of shadow striker second striker role i almost feel like he'd fit in really well at a team like juventus right now rather than you know with former juventus player Morata as his partner who despite being a kind of bigger player is in many ways also kind of more of a link up player than like a sort of target man finisher himself so no this is the make or break season for him for sure. He started very strong. He had three assists in his first game. Um, but like Atleti's form in general, uh, it has sort of decreased in productivity. Since then, I mean, you knew things were bad when Griezmann was in the starting lineup um, this weekend in the Madrid derby. So I, I get the sense and, that this could be Simeone's last season. Yeah, club. I mean, Simeone, again, he's the highest paid coach in the world. Uh, and he's, you know, he really helped build this Atleti team to 
you know, a European force, but uh, this team is just so, they are the Juventus of, of, of Spain right now, the way it stands. So uh, they're in need, I think, of cleaning house in more ways than one. Jan Oblak is having a sort of David De Gea season or really two seasons now at this point where he was the best goalie in the world for probably two years or certainly the best shot stopper in the world for longer than that. And that now seems to have evaded him. And as a goalie who's on the shorter side for goalies, uh, that's a concern. Josema Jimenez is now 27 years old and doesn't look like he'll ever be fit for a full season. You know, he hasn't played more than 24 games in a season since he was 19. So that's that's concerning. Uh, they've brought in players like Axel Witzel and Reynaldo who are in the prime or late prime of their career as sort of stopgap players. And the rest of their transfers haven't totally lived up to the hype yet, like Mateus Cunha, who hasn't really been given a shot at all. You know, Angel Correa has probably been their best or most consistent player the last year and a half. So uh, aside from Llorente. So I don't know, concerning things there. And even more concerning uh, is the debacle, which preceded what would have been a very uh, you know highly anticipated clash with crosstown rivals Real Madrid uh, at the Bernabeu this last weekend, and uh, excuse me at the Wanda Metropolitano this last weekend. Madrid at Atleti came into the game needing a win. Madrid uh, Real Madrid came in unbeaten, but uh, a sort of innocuous comment by Koke uh, in the week leading up to the match, where he said that you know basically uh, if Vinicius dances during the game, like after scoring a goal, that there would be some sort of fight, uh, ended up turning into a whole uh, expose, I think, on racism in Spain and in Spanish punditry and in soccer, uh, because it was not too long after Coke made this remark that uh, media members and agents were saying things like Vinicius is a monkey uh, or Vinicius plays the monkey, and it got so bad that, you know, the Brazil Football Federation and Real Madrid and Pele were making comments on social media using the hashtag Baila Vini or Dance Vini. Uh, and Vinicius put out an incredibly well-written statement talking about the cultural importance of dancing related to soccer because, you know, Brazil and his dance is a combination of a lot of different cultures. And, uh, you know, this was compounded with Atleti fans holding like extremely racist effigies of Vinicius uh, and chanting songs, calling him a monkey. Uh, and this is not to exonerate Real Madrid at all, because some Real Madrid fans exhibit similar behaviors at times. But it was pretty horrifying to see, I guess, how wide scale this racist abuse was in such a high profile game. Yeah, and, and my understanding, too, is that the Atleti Ultras in particular, and not to say that, you know, the only people in outside the stadium in the crowd making these racist chants were Atleti Ultras, but I think a lot of the worst behavior of soccer fans in particular is often housed in these groups. So really there have been a lot of issues for a long time, and it's been brought up repeatedly in sort of even lesser sort of situations than this and Atleti have been viewed as taking you know far too light you know a touch with these groups some clubs ban those these groups entirely um and I think after a situation like this especially when 
it, it literally like was building up over the course of the week in anticipation of the game. It went from Koke's comment, which wasn't racist, but then it got sort of throughout the Spanish media trans, you know, mogrified into this racist thing about him being a monkey. Um, but the fact that it sort of continued to build this, this didn't seem like all that surprising when it happened. And I think that was the most disappointing part. And I think La Liga and Atleti need to make some fairly significant changes. I think La Liga needs to find the club if they haven't already done so already. And Atleti need to ban many, many, many of these fans that can be very clearly, I think, identified um, with, with footage. Yeah, well, so, one of them, the, the fan who, who held the, uh, the most racist doll posted on his Instagram uh, that he had to be taken to hospital because, uh, you know, he was beaten up in the streets. And that's sort of a nice little karmic moment. Uh, not that I'm encouraging violence or anything, but to a certain extent, if you walk around with a racist dummy, um, you're going to end up, you know, getting some fists to the head. Yes. And the other karmic moment, perhaps, being the fact that Madrid won this game, um, which I'm not sure we've mentioned yet, but they won the derby to sort of stay perfect in the league. And yeah, Atleti's brand and their quality are certainly dying a tad. Yeah. And uh, the team did dance, by the way, right in front of the Madrid fans uh, during this game. So, uh, it, it, you know something has gone horribly wrong when the typically sort of morally correct soccer fans are all rooting for Real Madrid, as was the case this last weekend. Um, like, do you know how bad you have to be doing? Do you know how racist you have to be to get the world to support a club that is literally founded in fascism? But, yeah, uh, how hard? You know how bad it has to be where neutrals are supporting the fascist club over like right. the working oh, people's club yeah it's right. bad it's bad uh it's all bad um but yeah anyways with our last 10 minutes we may as well move on and talk a little bit about the this international break because it is the final international break before the world cup it was actually kind of nice that we went so long without an international break because um you know it does represent a break from club soccer uh, and i don't like that personally uh, but let's talk briefly about some of the new kit designs that have been rolled out, particularly by Nike, but also a few swings and misses from other groups. Uh, have you ever seen a worse batch of kits than Nike's latest releases that include a massacring of the traditional Dutch uh, orange kit, a terrible United States kit? Uh, it's honestly just embarrassing that for this upcoming World Cup cycle, we're going to have to be watching teams decked out in like off-brand Walmart pajama shirts. Yeah, it's, it all, so obviously all the major kind of like kit makers, right, create certain templates that they use for a lot of the clubs over the course of the year. And for whatever reason, Nike chose the World Cup season to make what I think is one of the worst templates they've ever had, where it has this weird kind of half circle that kind of cuts from shoulder to shoulder below the neck. And it just looks terrible structurally. And then they choose the worst colors for it as well. The men's national team kit. Um, I think there was a tweet from like Weston McKenney or something a few weeks ago when it got leaked, um, where he was just like, I told them not to. 
or something like that. Um, and I think the a lot of the a lot of the international players from several nations seem to be fairly disappointed um, in what they'll be sporting um, in Qatar. One of the worst ones I've seen um, is the Croatia kit. Um, I don't know if you've seen this one. Yeah, Nathan. it's terrible. Croatia... Is that is that Nike or is that Adidas? Uh, I think it's Nike, but I'm going to double check that right now. Yeah, well, it they... is Nike. So <laughs> okay, so their other what they're using is this weird like kit inside of a kit thing, where they put the the crest and stuff in the middle of the shirt, and then kind of have the pattern be like an outline of a smaller shirt. What happened? What what's what's in the water of Oregon right now? Um, that's causing Nike to do this. I mean, I think the World Cup, we usually see iconic kits. And right now, there's just these are infamous kits. Yeah, um, even in, even in a, a sort of down year for kits in 20 or in 2018, uh, we still got some great ones like the France kit where they won the World Cup, like um, like Argentina. Like you can't really mess up Argentina's home kits, right? Uh, but the only real win in terms of kits for this upcoming cycle is Mexico's uh, sort of indigenous inspired kit, which is awesome. Uh, it's so cool. And it's like really the only good one because every other kit from Belgium to Europe, to all of the Puma kits, Puma has really gone all in on the sort of uh, centered numbers, centered badge design. It's almost as bad as the sort of like Man City Dortmund third kits from last year which just had the club it didn't even name. have the crest it didn't even have the crest it just had the name it's they're very visually unappealing like the uruguay home kit is a white kit with blue and white thin stripes down the center and then a giant sort of um you know when you're playing football manager or fifa without a licensed team and they try to make the badge look as ugly as possible to, as like a sort of FU to these teams for not licensing them. That's literally what these kits look like. Uh, England's away kit is okay. The the red one, it's sort of an homage to the uh, the Gaza years. Their home one, though, is that same Nike weird shoulder one. Um, Canada didn't even put out new jerseys for this World Cup cycle, which is, I think, frustrating for their fans. Uh, the Netherlands suck, as we mentioned before. Switzerland's another Puma one. What do you think about the uh, the Portugal one? The sort of the the diagonal stripe. Oh God, one? this one is so bad. And and this is not an original criticism. Um, this is definitely something many people have noted on Twitter. But the fact that part of the diagonal cuts off like just the edge of I think the right sleeve, and so there's this weird kind of cone that's green um, on the sleeve. Why? yeah why? why why indeed and that's 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 really my question that's like I mean, that's my question about a lot of things but like this cycle did all the designers get into a room and just agree to like not do their jobs like i thought there was going to be a rail strike not a you know kit makers strike or designer strike so we got to get our boy marty walsh to sort that out <laughs> because the, the like the room is this is this what work from home gives us no in terms of world cup kits like <laughs> it's actually no it's actually shocking too because they even messed up brazil like like really france uh france is is one of the few teams that sort of didn't really alter their kit that much same with denmark which went with sort of danish red on red but those are the those are honest to god the only two kits that i would wear in public and you know me like i'll wear 
I wore uh, to the gym the other day a, like 2013 Malaga home kit that has like tears in it. I'd rather wear that to an actual World Cup game than any of these new kits that we just mentioned. So all in all, uh, pretty crap. And it's a shame that I would, you know, I would Saudi rather... Arabia is probably the only good Nike kit of this entire cycle. <laughs> oh, God. The Newcastle away kit is officially the best World Cup kit um, <laughs> <laughs> available. Or is that their third kit? I think it's their third kit. Um, but nevertheless, so yeah, the kit situation is poor, but we do have the last international break before the World Cup. And so I think people are interested in seeing who was in the squads, who wasn't. Are there any you know, Nations League games or friendlies you in particular looking out for? Um, honestly, I tend to not pay much attention to these, um, but certainly... Some players are already grumbling that they were left out. I mean, Iago Aspas for Spain has talked about his disappointment in being left out of the Spain squad. Um, and then uh, PFOC for the United States, who we didn't mention before, is in that Union Berlin side that leads the league. He himself has chipped in with several goals, and he has also missed out on the U.S. squad, who favored uh, Ricardo Pepe, who now... Uh, applies his trade on loan at Hroningen, um in the Eredivisie. But I'll, I'll leave you to kind of have the last word on the, the more sporting elements of, of the international break. I mean, I just honestly don't care that much. And I know that that's Nick's line oftentimes, but I think it's right. Like, <laughs> like the international break before the World Cup is like, um, it, it would be like writing a food review on the bread at a restaurant, at like a five-star restaurant. Like, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to care at all um, just because I know that the best is yet to come. And I just think it detracts from what's already been a very entertaining club season. So I don't know. This next week of matches are super uninspiring. Uh, like, am I going to watch Uruguay, Canada? No. Am I going to watch USA, Japan at like eight in the morning tomorrow or on Friday? Maybe. Actually, I could be persuaded to do that. But um, yes. yeah, well, I just don't care. <laughs> like, No one cares about the Nations League. No one's ever cared about the Nations League in its brief three-year existence and no one will care about the nation's league so i don't know i don't care that's my answer fair enough yeah borrowing the the wise words of kimberly guilfoyle the best is yet to come that's i think true. that's yeah that's, I think uh pretty much that's it. A, i think it's a good place for us to end this is a, a nice nice discussion and we hope to have nick back in the future <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we hope to have Nick back with us next time. Although I'm not sure what we're going to, we don't have to wait until after the international break. Uh, we, but, we will take a break too, but not a technical glitch break. Just a, No, just a, a normal sort of, uh, it's, it's a normal break, a normal time for a break. But uh, the next time we talk to you, uh, all leagues will be back in session. Europe will be back as well. And it'll be the final one month stretch before the five week World Cup break. So we will catch you next time. I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Brids. We hope you find some soccer to watch or find another way to entertain yourself because you won't be seeing it on the pitch for at least eight more days. <laughs> <laughs>